A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage. That lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Raw Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamplot and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of Monday Night Raw. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review Raw, but also SmackDown, NXT 2.0, AW Rampage, AW Dynamite, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleChat. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to discuss Monday Night Raw and a good show, Michael Sidgwick. Well, I'm glad you asked me that because that's how I'm going to frame my uh, succinct summary before we go into detail um, as the show unfolds. Um, our listener base, I'm pretty sure, or enough of them, likes to just listen to this podcast instead of watching the show. That portion of the listenership might have heard or read some buzz, some actual elusive buzz that has come out of this show as being, as you said, like a good or a well-received one. And if those listeners were to ask me whether this was a really well-written show that was well-booked with exciting matches that give you some hope for future additions and planted some seeds, I would have to say... No, dear, that's wrong. <laughs> but... <laughs> But as much as the main event was built towards with the same dreadfully convenient, stupid plot holes that have polluted this show for decades, the main event, I would say, is a no-book. Go out of your way to watch it if you've got a shred of love for this company left. Um, Bookended by brilliance. In the middle, it was a load of old bollocks. And yet, the best role this year... I mean, yeah, quite obviously the best Raw this year. Let's um, let's talk about Triple H for a second, and not just Triple H. Let's Hang on, wait a second. <laughs> We're talking not about his recent hospital stay, but his career prospects in Hamlet. Uh, go easy. Let's talk about Triple H in hospital. Remember that picture of Triple H in hospital after the Saudi Arabia show when Steptoe and Son got injured against The Undertaker and Kane, and he was there with whatever he'd torn... And, like, that upper side of his, like, pectoral muscle was just all black and blue. Like, the amount of physical pain that he'd endured, suffering that injury, and then the recovery time, and all that was wrong in the upper part of his body for that to have happened. But you're looking at it, and it's like, that's sort of quite beautiful to look at. It's still a disaster area, and it's still a mess, and it's still never truly going to be healed because it's old, and it's tired, and <laughs> things never recover at this point. But just, if you catch it at the right angle, it's, it's quite nice to look at. 
that was this edition of Monday Night Raw. And now that I've put it out there, that I've made any comparison to Triple H in this podcast, Vincent Mann's going to change it next week and we're never going to get anything like this ever again. <laughs> but yes, just for three hours on double speed, uh, I ignored the ugliness underneath and admired some of the beauty out front. I am not suggesting that this will last. I think it's important that we try not to grade this on a curve, as we do with WWE anyway. Mm. You do it by default, but not grade it on a curve so extreme that we're coming out and saying, brilliant wrestling show. Come on, guys. This is raw. It is a great time to be a wrestling fan right now. You know, that complete bollocks. But it's worth praising when Tuesdays aren't quite as miserable as they would be normally because this one doesn't feel anything like that. I mean, they've got the most resources of any professional wrestling company ever, so I don't have to do that, and I will not do that. In fact, before we go into the details of Raw, we do the usual skip segment mm-hmm. for the five-star review review. I'm going to skip three things on this show. Right. <laughs> the agreed-upon skip. Yeah. That was th- I think we're all on the same level of which thing to skip. And there are two things that simply happened last week and I refuse to discuss I, I them. Mm. think of at least one of those things straight off the top of my head. Anyway, uh, let's start at the beginning of the show. The New Day come out to start the show. It's only taken one week as Big E is WWE champion and I think Raw's fixed. Um, <laughs> he comes out, He does. Big E does the spiel beforehand uh, introducing uh, the, the new, not only Xavier and Kofi, but the new WWE champion. Huge pap for that. Uh, he got a great reaction, as he deserves. Uh, and he got a You Deserve It chant. It soaks it all in. He thanks everyone, every fan who chanted New Day rocks. And yes, even the ones who chanted New Day sucks. And uh, he thanked those who cheered when he won the Money in the Bank contract. And was grateful for all the fans who lost their minds when he became WWE champion. He was thankful for everyone. Uh, and one person looking down, and the fans had a lovely moment chanting for Brody Lee, clearly a special moment, not just for him, uh, but for wrestling fans everywhere, basically. But Biggie said, unfortunately, they're going to have to cut their celebration short because they got some business to uh, handle tonight against the Usos and Roman Reigns. Uh, he said, Raw is their show, as in the New Day's not the Bloodlines, uh, and they're going to send the Bloodline packing because... Goes to say New Day rocks and basically gets immediately interrupted by the bloodline. Roman Reigns and the Usos entered. And like you predicted yesterday, I saved about five minutes here. They really slowly walked down to the ring. Um, Reigns held up his belt. Lovely shot of Reigns holding up the Universal Championship. Big E holding up uh, the WWE Championship. And the show would start with a six-man tag. But Hamlet, just a quick word on uh, having Big E do effectively the welcome to Monday Night Raw thing. He's just a natural, isn't he? Yeah, this wasn't um, abrasive as these things sometimes are, uh, which I know like sounds like I'm damning it with faint praise, but it was mostly really wholesome and like established a good feeling and a good vibe. And WWE, and it's typically of their own making, so often struggle to summon the atmosphere for a Monday Night Raw, especially that I think it was. It like set the tone for the show. So even if, and a lot of the show was still pretty trash, but the good bits that were great, I think were elevated by this, this feeling that was established. We talk about we talk about tone and vibe and energy when it comes to Dynamite all the time because they're the intangibles that like a good wrestling show can generate and WWE Monday Night Raw hasn't been a good wrestling show consistently for 20 odd years. This was the best like possible start to this like half decent episode they were going to try and create. New Day were curating an atmosphere here. And it was around Big E being this universally popular figure. And in that regard, I thought it worked really well. And just ahead of the match as well, I'm not normally a fan. And this goes all the way back to um, 
the days of like CM Punk and John Cena doing it with their WWE title. I really hate that WWE thing of the champions holding up their belts. However, kind of alluded to this on another podcast, Roman and Big E do sort of feel like the biggest stars. Mm. And it, it almost felt authentic. <laughs> like yeah. the two of them holding up the titles as like, you know, for WWE's phrasing, the big dogs running the yard with their gangs. Like this felt like the biggest possible thing this company could do. And I just bought it for a second. I quite like that. Like I didn't have to think about that. I just felt it. Yeah, no, I have to agree. This is the least insulting opening verbal segment I've witnessed on this program in several years, probably, um, because it was a really nice, authentic human being talking like a real human being. Yes. <laughs> Genuinely a nice indication, hopefully a primer of what we can expect from this run. Like the second he does a Titantron gag, he's knackered. The second he has to performatively say, Monday Night Raw, Christ, why, why are the baby faces doing Stephanie McMahon's shtick when she was trying to get a pop and beat heel at the same time? Pisses me off to high heaven, this. <laughs> this didn't piss me off. Yes. Which is the nicest thing I've ever said about Monday Night Raw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we got the six-man tag. It was the New Day versus the Bloodline. Uh, New Day dominating quite early on because it was the Uso starting off. Roman Reigns just chilling on the apron uh, initially. Uh, Reigns, though, pulls Kingston out of the ring bounces him off the announce table, throws him into the post, chucks him over the announce table as well as we go to break. Uh, we come back and Kofi is still desperate for a tag after being mauled by the bloodline. Uh, he gets close to tagging in Xavier Woods, but then Jimmy Uso runs interference, knocks uh, Xavier off the apron. Uh, Kofi gets sent into the corner. Uh, he gets out, though, his spinning top rope drop kick, uh, and he managed to tag in Big E as Roman Reigns comes in, and we get the big... World Champs Showdown, a uh, huge pap for that. And they, they go back and forth. Uh, and then Big E nails Reigns with three belly-to-belly -belly suplexes. The crowd loved that. Uh, but Jay distracts uh, Big E, has to knock him off the apron and turns around into Uranagi from Roman Reigns. Reigns goes for a Superman punch. Big E catches him, though, hits a suplex, hits a running splash. Jimmy Uso tries to get involved, so Kingston takes him out and then jumps to the outside, uh, taking out both of the Usos with a dive. But that allows Reigns to recover he knocks down Biggie with a Superman punch uh, and then in, in comes uh, Xavier Woods it's Xavier Woods and Reigns brilliant bit with Xavier Woods hitting a super kick and falling onto Reigns I don't know why I bought that it's not going to be Xavier Woods no offence I love him it'd be Bobby Lashley <laughs> but yeah it, it was just I bought for a split second because the way he just sort of like last ditch super kick collapsed onto Roman Reigns and I was like one two oh no of course Roman Reigns is going to kick out but still in the midst of all this, this thrilling opener, out comes Lashley. This wasn't a disqualification. Obviously, we'll deal with that in a second. But my God, what a way to rehabilitate him. He comes down and destroys both the Usos, the New Day, Roman Reigns, Big E, everyone. He initially came down and speared Big E on the outside, post-Kingston, uh, lays out the Usos. Uh, this distracts Woods. That allows uh, Reigns to spear him and pin him. Again, I don't know why him attacking. Maybe because he attacked members from both teams, but... Uh, oh, they weren't the legal men. It's a load of bollocks. It's WWE just making it up as they go along. Regardless, he looked mint. He comes in, he spears Reigns, spears Big E through the barricade. He is pissed off, basically. And yes, technically, the bloodline got the victory, but it probably should have just been a DQ. But nevertheless, uh, Lashley looked amazing, murdering everyone in this opening match. Yeah, this was very flattering in terms of a carny finish. 
Mm. But a corny finish that was nonetheless brilliantly executed. I've got one pedantic complaint about the match, and it isn't even about the finish because I know how they book, and I've reconciled myself to the fact that I know how they book. Roman Reigns. I want to make a general point here, a broader point. I get how great he is. I've studied his facial expressions, his mannerisms, his aura. I know that he's a big star in the form of his life, and he's genuinely radiating superstar vibes. I like it well enough. I know it more than I feel it. I goddamn felt Roman Reigns here. I don't know if it was just the backdrop of Raw and how poisonous it is. And I'm not one of these idiots. He was like, oh, SmackDown's like as good as Mid-South in 1983. <laughs> like, I know, I know, I know it's not that good a TV show. It just happens to be headlined by a guy who's just in unbelievable form. But I just think Raw is worse. That is undeniable. Just it's kind of an epiphany moment for me. Watching Roman against the backdrop that is Monday Night Raw get massive reactions work two thrilling matches, time everything he does to utter perfection just made me realize, yep, he actually is the star that a lot of people are almost too desperate for him to be. My one pedantic complaint, however, he looked like a killer when he was just destroying Kofi Kingston. And at that point, it was the first actual rule break, the first transgression in the match. And I don't like how it just built towards the stare down. Oh, they'll come to heads, they'll come to blows when Raw rolls on after the break. It's like, if they had done that spot and that was the moment where Big E was like, if you're going to break the rules, I'm going to come and chin you. Instantly, like if they had done that in like the second half of the match, I would have been so high on it, but I don't know, it just didn't work as mm. a segue to the That's commercial fair. break because I think Big E should have just absolutely chinned him. Um, but regardless, Roman Reigns' individual performance in this match was incredible. The 2.9 kickouts, the fury and the power with which he just annihilated Kofi Kingston. That was great. Bobby Lashley looked like a monster. There was so much to love here. Uh, Roman Reigns, I'm not going to acknowledge him just yet because he needs to stop monologuing <laughs> and they need to do some actual energetic angles on SmackDown and not just drop stupid plot threads with the bloodline that just get dropped. But he himself really is a star. I want this to sound more like praise than dry analysis, but this was really well agented and worked. Um, it was lovely to see the, I mean, the, we know the Usos and the New Day have got this, like, electric chemistry, like, kind of like trying to save SmackDown's tag scene by themselves in 2017. <laughs> yeah. And there was some of that on display here, and they gave you, like, just enough to think, I would quite like to watch that again competitively. Um, but the use of Kofi Kingston as the babyface in peril, and it was real peril. And I, I think that was, like, obviously, uh, all of this is always built around Raw rolling on, so Sidgwick kind of correctly points out there, you could have probably done with a bit more instant retribution from Big E, but instead, he becomes a babyface in peril. But it was real peril as a result of how good Roman was, as a result of how good the Usos were at switching off and, like, dare I say it, old-fashioned cutting the ring in half with Kofi. The crowd were biting in that way that, like, it's it's astonishing. Even, even now, it's astonishing that Vincent Mann hates tag team wrestling as much as he does. Because if he ever books it and books it well, it looks like this. And yeah, he despises it because he's a greedy old fart that wants to pay two people instead of four or six. Mm. It comes down to that at the end and it always will because the formula is so tried and tested and true and brilliant. Um, Xavier Woods always shines and they know, I say they, I mean the New Day and WWE know well enough to almost like hide him in plain sight for the longest time for a hope spot like the one you just highlighted there oh. to be as effective as it was because it's always been that way. 
Xavier Woods is always one great move or moment away from winning the big match, but you never receive him as such until until like seconds before it happens. So you just you dragged in all of a sudden, and they know that, and they've done that before, and it's always effective. Um, I think you're right about Roman being on Raw. I think whenever the brand extension shows itself off to actually be a split between the two, it's never in the way WWE would want. It's never like, whoa, the Survivor Series is full of energy. It's always, whoa, one show, re- one show really is worse than the other. <laughs> it goes back to, like, the SmackDown 6 had good matches in 2002. And forever, people have gone, well, it's a work rate show, SmackDown. Because for, like, a summer, six guys had bank. Honestly, right, there's been this reputation that SmackDown's had. It's more for the wrestlers. Why? Because, like, in, t- in 2002, six guys... Two of which I did because of like in part the style like had these bangers and that's always been this reputation that it's carried for some reason. Paul Heyman's a hell of a salesman, I think that's why. Mm. Um, so it never exists in the way WWE one, but this was an example of that. Yeah, like SmackDown's guys have have come to town and the crowd are fired up for it. You know, uh, whole thing works. Like really, really enjoyed it. Uh, and Bobby Lashley in terms of a rehab, they couldn't have done Oof. any better a job. This didn't feel. Right, forced, we've got to fix him. There wasn't an ounce of 50-50 about any of this. This was a commitment to something that they'd put a lot of work into in the first place. Bobby Lashley winning the title and then holding the title felt like something they didn't want to waste, and they didn't, and I have to respect that as well. Like, this is what happens when you push jacked guys, is that Vince wants to look after them on the other side of it. If it was a little guy, if it was Kofi losing to Brock, done. Never want to see you again. Crush pancakes backstage all you want, I don't care. When you look like Bobby Lashley, they're going to fix you. And that's the one of the few benefits you get of Vince guys getting pushed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Lashley immediately stormed into Postman Pierce and Sonya Deville's office, furious uh, about <laughs> Big E cashing in last week. He talked about be- beating Randy Orton, retaining his title, and then getting hurt, and Big E using that opportunity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He said he could beat Big E or Roman Reigns any day of the week. It's still the almighty era, and that wasn't about to end. We don't need to say anything about this, do we, really? Now, just to set up the main event, we'll several more segments talk about this in a second. Um, they announced Randy Orton versus AJ Styles for later on. Uh, they reminded us that MVP broke a rib uh, getting RKO'd by Orton last week. And then we cut backstage. Orton sat there with his headphones on. And Riddle comes in to talk some bollocks, talks about Spotify playlists, talks about how they're on a roll. Um, Riddle says how Orton can beat AJ Styles tonight. He's a viper. Riddle wonders what kind of spirit animal he'd be. Maybe a mongoose. And Orton's just... LTST? Fed up with it. Talking more. I'll give them that. Bollocks. Uh, uh, I will. He said he's uh, ready for AJ tonight, Orton. Uh, He was confused as to whether Riddle was watching a film or talking about a film or real life. Uh, And he told Riddle to keep an eye on Omos while he breaks a few of Styles' ribs. But he did thank Riddle for the the headphones and put them back on whilst uh, whilst Riddle sang Orton's song. Funny. Yeah. Um, These two are just great. Like, I love nothing more than a pat there between Riddle and Randy Orton every week. <laughs> it's funny how, like, a genuinely funny guy has arrived on Raw and then suddenly rated RK Bro's kind of exposed as just lame. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. true, though. Yeah. I actually love, earnestly lovable versus these dicks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, let's get back in our time machine and head back to last week because it's time for Eva Marie versus Doudrop. Uh But this time, Eva Marie's going to say Doudrop looks like a piece of crap, basically, beforehand. <laughs> she said she wasn't into sh- shaming or negativity. I did drop said, my arse when she said that. 
I Shit. thought something horrible was coming. I mean, there was because they had a match, but I thought, <laughs> I thought something even nastier was going to happen. Yeah, she said, "Come on, look at me, look at Dewdrop. I'm well put together. Dewdrop's a mess, and Dewdrop actually got cheered by the fans, and then." Well, you said you don't want to talk about this. They literally had the exact same matches last week. Do drab uh, victorious. Yes, uh, much in the same way I've angrily said after the last few general elections, the public gets what the public wants. And apparently what it wants is this thing every single week because I was exasperated at the noise that this generated. I wanted just for a split second to be back in the Thunderdome where we could say speculatively, if live crowds were here, they'd be absolutely sh- on this. Mm. Um, because in my head, they are. But in the building... They were into it. Yeah. And I have to, I don't know, maybe that's like force of will for Doodrap because there's a worker in there and it's been obscured since the day she debuted on the main roster. We know there is. Any sort of half-informed fan will know there is. But f- something has connected. And I, I, I can't tell you what it is. Like, we're here to talk about the show on the podcast. There was an audience responding to this and I, I, I don't know why or how are they that easily pleased. Is it still a case of live entertainment being such a novelty that they want this? I don't know. I don't want to ask broad-sweeping questions. <laughs> I just want to move on because I saw it last week. <laughs> Sorry, Hamlet. That's absolutely fine. Uh, let's move on because an absolutely furious, big... <laughs> stormed <laughs> to Postman Pierce and Sonia did. You stupid arsehole. Can't do that, man. I love the way you can change it up, though, from... from <laughs> Loves to have fun and to just pissed off. He wants a match with Lashley and Reigns. Chase your dreams. Anybody listening to this that is maybe in school or university or currently looking for that job, know that Adam Wilborn, at some point in the last working week, was paid to spend time searching for e.wav on the internet for that moment on a podcast. Chase your dreams. You know what I suddenly hate slightly less than Adam Wilborn? <laughs> WW. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Wait, try again. Try again. You know what I hate? What? Try Slightly less than uh, Adam Wilborn <laughs> right now. <laughs> you messed my brain up, man, with your bollocks. Just move on. Oh, this is going to appear on the What Culture Botches Twitter account. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, Paul Heyman went into the, the dressing room <laughs> after the break and... Uh, I just want to play with it as well. Yeah. <laughs> Can I have a go on the buttons? <laughs> well, I was like, how can you make the buttons? <laughs> <laughs> um, Paul Heyman wanted to, I don't know, say something, and then they said, yeah, we're, get, we're getting the match in the main event. Who cares? We're getting the match in the main event. What was going to be the main event? Uh, one second, call it. Jeff Hardy versus Sheamus. Cool. <laughs> well, what just happens? E button just to fill some dead air. Oh. Actually, do you know what was going to be uh, the main event, Sige? These nuts. <laughs> <laughs> you are. <laughs> That's some LTST because I told the guys. I revealed I had it on WrestleCulture and told no one to grasp me up. Oh. <laughs> right, what's happening? Oh, yeah, Randy Ormond's AJ Styles. Jolly good. Skip. But no. Do you want to skip? This one had a finish that I thought was good, so okay. we'll oh, talk about the finish God. for 10 seconds. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've seen this match a million times. Uh, it's all in <laughs> Styles. Uh, it was good. It was good. Big George uh, almost trips Randy Orton. Orton complains to the referee. Almost gets sent from ringside. And uh, Riddle's there like, yeah, and then Omos just absolutely laid him out. Um, Orton hit one of uh, hit one of Riddle's moves, hit the uh, exploded suplex uh, for, a, for a near fall. 
Styles comes back, strikes Pele, click, uh, Pele kick, uh, hits a forearm, and then hits a lion salt out of nowhere. He sets up for the phenomenal forearm, but gets uh, distracted by Riddle, goes to hit the phenomenal forearm, and they pause because of the spot they've done like five times now where he's going to go for the phenomenal forearm, Orton's going to go for the RKO, and they stop themselves. And I thought, oh, that's a nice touch, and they point at each other. And then, as I pointed out to you in the office this morning, Vince is on the headset going, the fans are stupid. They will not get that reference. Corey, say, literally say the words, Spider-Man meme. And then people will actually understand what that is. It's like, ah, oh, brilliant. Okay, subtlety's dead then. Anyway, it doesn't matter because Horton catches uh, stars with a draping DDT, RKO, one, two, three. Sige, anything you want to say about this? Yeah, the finish was class. The finish was class. I remember on a 2017 SmackDown, it was the first time we saw them do this, um, where Orton actually bought the fake out. And uh, AJ Styles' little face, well, he was so chuffed with himself. <laughs> yeah. Like It was really, really, really good. They've toyed with it over the years, and this was a really nice variation of it. I liked it. Um but like people are saying, that's oh, a good role because uh, AJ Styles and Randy Orton had a really good match. Well, I would expect that from two renowned professional wrestlers. What you've actually done, Extreme Rules is this Sunday, isn't it? Yes. You've completely, by beating definitively the last set of challenges in a singles match, but, you know, the last set of tag team challenges with any kind of credibility, instead of like doing a big go-home angle for an act that was really hot last week, you've, in fact, at possibly the worst time ahead of a pay-per-view, just closed off a nar- narrative path with the blockade by just doing this. Like, what are <laughs> Rated RK Bro going to do? Well, in theory, they're meant to be facing Lashley and Nicky yeah, because they won tag team turmoil, but that's just been forgotten about. I mean, strictly speaking, this is terrible episodic <laughs> <laughs> Moreover, Randy Orton doing his, like, babyface shine spot, but because he's Randy Orton, it's boring and a little bit heelish with the, the stomp. Mm. It's like, that's like, you're you healed it. You're stupid. And the answer is yes. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, but the finish was really good. The finish was really, really yeah. good. It's like Randy Orton. You ever seen that, um, that viral clip of one of the best balls shots you'll ever see where... I don't know. Do the Yanks know what bowls is? It's not bowling. It's bowl, like crown green bowls. Like crown thought. green bowls. Very posh version of bowling. So uh, I'm trying to set the scene visually Got to get for the, you. your balls closest to the jack. The jack. So this guy is trying to hit the jack. I got weighted balls here. <laughs> and he's got to weight it, and he's got to curve this ball. So he doesn't, you think, you stupid tosser. <laughs> <laughs> That's miles away. And this ball goes in this absolutely wonderful crescent moon shape, and you think, like, you kind of, your heart is kind of like, hang on, that's going to that's gonna come back around. That's going to come back around and do the thing that it needs to do. I don't know the rules of balls. But it's going to get in a position. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's like it's a C shape that he's managed to curl this ball, and then eventually something exciting happens. That's how I would describe <laughs> a Randy Orton match. Like the slowest, most ponderous thing. Like you think they book the match and you go, you stupid bastards, we've <laughs> seen this ten times. <laughs> it's like, that's not going anywhere, you idiot. And it's like, ah, oh, he gets he can build at the RKO if he, <laughs> if he can do nothing else. He can build, he can build to a good RKO at the finish. Um my favourite Randy Orton AJ Styles match was the ones where the spotlights damaged my retina because I got months worth of free tickets. This one did not top that. So 
That's they could have like that's still what they're chasing. They could have like out of nowhere like a six star match, Orton and Styles, and Hanthel would still prefer the one at WrestleMania 35 because it allowed him to go and watch NXT in 2019. Yeah, true story. <laughs> Free tickets and a really quiet bar when that match was on. Nothing but, nothing but good memories of, uh, see, uh, in, see, including losing sight for about 20 minutes, just seeing spots. <laughs> if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15, 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Right next, uh, it was the conclusion to the never-ending. Friendship slash feud between Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. They had a big video recapping them and their, their awkward tag team and their tag team title reign. And then they split and then they split again and then they split again. And then a couple of weeks ago, they properly split and cost each other matches against Charlotte Flair. And then we got Nia Jax versus Shayna Baszler last night. Uh, they're arguing about who's better. Nia's showing off. She even picks up Shayna Baszler for a Samoan drop and puts her down saying, that was easy. So Basil just goes, all right, I'll just switch back to my MMA style. Just kicks Nia Jax all over the place. Big kick to the head. Uh, puts Nia Jax down on all fours. And Basil is battling, trying to get her into the Kirifuda clutch. Finally does manage to lock it in. Uh, Nia Jax desperately trying to escape it. She tries to fall back on top of Shayna Baszler, but Shayna Baszler holds it on. Uh, and Jax struggles and screams and eventually passes out. Shayna Baszler is victorious in like two minutes, it was. Post-match, Shayna Baszler gets that glint in her eye and she decides to keep on attacking Nia Jax afterwards. She kicks her in the head, she throws her to the outside uh, and she pushes Nia Jax's hand into that gap into the steel step. She stamps on it. Nia Jax is screaming in agony 
And Shayna Baszler, uh, again, bends Nia Jax's arm onto the top of the steps, stamps on it again. Nia Jax is writhing around. She's got a fi- uh, you know officials surrounding her and checking on her. She's in horrible pain. And Shayna Baszler, Michael Hamlet, looks conflicted. Well, yeah, and it was a shame she did because otherwise this was end-to-end great. It was I weird, think. that, wasn't it? I, it didn't feel in line with every other bit of the presentation we've just had, this effective, like hard restart of the Shayna Baszler character. You were not allowed to get excited about Shayna Baszler. And I'm not speaking to the general you. I'm speaking to you, Adam Wilborn. This is not Elimination Chamber 2020. This is it. I'm not telling telling me there's a chance. chance. No. Because it's WWE and you're not allowed to get excited about anything. But if you want to, for one night, I think you can. Like, I thought Shayna Baszler was great here. I thought Nia Jax was good here. No. Honestly, like, I thought her selling was pretty convincing. It's a write-off for a bit, isn't it, I assume? Yep. Uh, Maybe that was where I was... Finding satisfaction. It's a bit like <laughs> when she went through the pod on that Elimination Chamber match. But, like, so maybe there was joy to be found in Nia Jax taking a beating, but I thought she... I don't know. I thought it was, like, quite a good, like, sales job of this absolute battering she was taking. I was convinced Nia Jax was winning this match, so I was ecstatic. Maybe there was some of that in there, too. Um, it's odd how... It's not odd. We know why. But for the almost entire lifespan of this team, when, after, like, they'd had their success... Shayna Baszler was cast as a weak link over and over and over and over again. And then they have this singles match that completely betrays all of that. Like, uh, not only has this gone on for about a year, but this two-minute match betrayed all of that year because it made one person very clearly the more dominant member of the team. That was never once figured in when they were on their endless losing streak together. So that was odd. doesn't make any sense. But for one night, I enjoyed getting to see Shayna Baszler again. Mm. She, it'd be like if Nathan Frazier did one match on Dark. Well, I remember him. I remember Ben Carter. Like I've, I got a nice night of Shayna Baszler. Like I don't expect to see it ever again. Sorry, Wilborn, but this was fun. I'm not having my intelligence insulted with this match. I'm just not doing it. Like If I hadn't watched Shayna Baszler get ruled up about 12 times this year, I could maybe take the story they were trying to tell halfway seriously. Like A hard reset. I just... I refuse, like even like, Here's a good analogy, right? Because I'm very good at them. Crown green balls. <laughs> <laughs> here's a good analogy, right? Miro in AEW. The initial presentation of the character mm-hmm. was garbage. I generally thought they had a good idea. Best man. Oh, best man for the guy who's going to get married, but also he's the best at everything. Funny, ass-kicking guy. just didn't work out. They did a hard reset of that character. However, the reason why it worked is because Gamer Miro still won all the time. Mm. Didn't wrestle that much, but he still won when he did. So it wasn't an illogical leap. He was the guy who was winning all the time and Kip Sabian's nonsense was getting in the way. And ultimately, Kip Sabian's nonsense caused them to lose Arcade Anarchy, after which he decided, yes, I'm going to just be Miro. Mm. That worked because he was a winner. It wasn't just this guy getting jobbed out and he was suddenly expected to just get over. We were suddenly expected to go, all right, okay, I'm into this. Bollocks. She's been ruled up 12 times. I can't take her seriously. It's an MMA killer. Like, Nia Jax, we've been harsh on this podcast. I'm probably going to be harsher because her performance here reminded me of Heidenreich. (laughs) (laughs) And what I mean by this is Heidenreich, low-key, is possibly one of the greatest comedy workers of all time. This is a guy who, when he was selling, (laughs) legitimately, and I love this, used to go, Ow! Ow! It was great. 
Because it's like, the way I put it in an article, which you can read um, on whatculture.com right now, entitled, uh, Ranking Who Was Really the Worst Wrestler Every Year, 1990 to 2021. There's a great podcast about it as well. Indeed, that you can listen to wherever they drop. Um, Heidenreich, in his interpretation of pro wrestling selling, right, I compared it to, you know those um, memes that you see where kids are smart asses in test answers? Where it's like, um, what happened at the end of... Uh, like, what happened before 1986? And someone just wrote 1985. Mm. And it's like these smart-ass kids' answers. They're very literal interpretations of what they are doing on Strictly Wrong. Heidenreich by going, ow, ow! It's like, well, come on, it's not wrong, is it? <laughs> it's terrible and it's comical, but it's not exactly wrong. Lex Luger escapes a lot of criticism for that, but it's one of them, when you see it, you can't unsee it. You can, like... Like shambles around the ring, going oh, oh! <laughs> like he'll take a punt and like what? Final any Lex Luger, and I mean anyone, because he just couldn't stop himself doing it. He's just walking around like trying to shake off a punch, and then Yokozuna puts another dig in the ring. Oh, like that. And it's like you can't. Like I love Lex Luger, but you can't really unsee it after that. And it's like why is this jacked guy in so much? Pain? Oh, oh. <laughs> so Nia Jacks in this match. Like usually, when you want to convey that you can't, in fact, breathe. What you should do is like, yeah, uh, you should like choke a little bit, spluttering sounds like, dig your chin, like in your like torso, uh, to do something. Mm. I can't breathe. Mm. It's, like, oh, no, that, you know, <laughs> it's great. Oh, my leg hurts. It's the same thing. <laughs> you can't be seeing this. And uh, I just couldn't. Uh, it was so hammy. She was telling me that she was hurt yes. and not showing me that she was hurt. And, like, uh, literally any soul on the planet can do this. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just useless. <laughs> I got everything I needed out of this match. Shayna Baszler won. Nia Jax lost. Nia Jax is going away for a while. And I think Shayna Baszler is going to win the Royal Rumble. So, there well, we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Let's move on. Let's move that on. That was the worst thing about 2020, that. Your insistence that Shayna Baszler <laughs> was there. Uh, not ruined. <laughs> She's fine. She's been rehabilitated now. Uh, just like... We all locked ourselves in the houses just to not hear that take, and yet we got it through Zoom. <laughs> just like... Just shouting it through the letterboxes. <laughs> just like the team that has now been rehabilitated, the Handsome Bastards. That is Angel Garza and Burrow Carrillo, who feuded, I'm fairly certain, and like fought for ages and then went, hang on, wait a second, aren't we related? <laughs> oh, did we just become best friends? That's apparently Byron Saxon. Did we just become cousins? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're family. They're rather handsome. Why not make them a team? Uh, and they fought uh, Mustafar Ali and Mansoor. I do love the dynamic with Mustafa Ali and Mansoor, down to the bit where he was trying to dag, drag Ali's hands to touch the ground. He's like, Ugh, I don't want to touch them. Mansoor's like <laughs> high-fiving everyone. Um... Mansour, it's quite a short match. This Mansour gets a, a near fall uh, with that uh, belly-to-back suplex, top rope, double stomp thing. Uh, Carrillo just makes the save for Gaza. And then Gaza takes Mustafa Ali outside. And, you know, I've got to give credit to, to Ali here. That sell. He beamed, got beamed off the, the ring post, made a great noise. He gets launched into it. Uh, and then uh, in the end, they get a uh, submission on Mansoor by Carrillo, and Garza just drop kicks him in the face as he's doing that, basically. Uh, and they get the victory. Actually, I think it was on Ali rather than Mansoor, actually. But they get the victory nonetheless. Short match, but a great way to establish the handsome bastards, Hamlet. Yeah, I guess so. Um, sort of an odd result because of the Mansoor-Mustafa-Ali chemistry and the evident connection 
that they're forging with the crowd. But they're not yet at the point where I guess they need to win every week. I guess no. part of that connection is a little bit like there's an unlucky loser quality to it, and people are going to be willing them over the line. And you can you can't like I'm not too angry that they lost here. I think no. is what I'm saying. I think you, this is like far less damaging than let's say a squash against Mason T-Bar. One would look like one thing, and this looked like another. I'm I found myself this week, and I Brock Lesnar Roman Reigns is ruining everything, not just Roman Reigns' title run. I got myself a bit annoyed at how much this is working because we are so close to Crown Jewel, and typically in Saudi Arabia, Mansoor wins some daft match, and it's almost just like contributes to the ugliness of the whole thing. Like we got one guy that we can push as this hometown favourite in this really awkward and ugly situation that they found themselves in for blood money. Whereas now, it's like, oh, he's like authentically over. Mm. He could win the King of the Ring, if that's even a thing. Or you could theoretically... Get quite close, that. They're not mentioned here. I know, like, RK Bro probably aren't the team for this now, but, like, let's say they weren't the champ. You could easily see them winning the tag belts, couldn't you? Like, you can start thinking for things for Mansoor to do beyond having the match with the ring general. It's become something that matters now, (laughs) what he does. And that's a bit of a shame, like, because it's going to feel like a very cynical interruption into something that, again, I'm going to use the word again, there's something very wholesome feeling about this act. And I actually think, rare for WWE, they were quite smart to have them lose to this new team. It was an energetic little popper of a match where I think the new team got over and the losing team weren't damaged by it. Not a waste of time for anybody. Um, I don't know. I'll reserve my take because it's an episodic TV programme and part of the inherent flaw with criticising it every single week is that you just don't know where it's going to go and sometimes your takes are informed by... Blanket cynicism, shall we say. They might be doing something like this, as Hamlet alludes to. My prevailing take was Vince is happy that he's got this new team and he was just very happy to showcase them at the expense of other stories being told. But we'll see. Mm. Trust the process. <laughs> God. Maybe not. Uh, speaking of which, Karen Cross, Fallen Prey. Uh, then we got. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I say anything else. This video package about a bloke that I know is crap, and, and we've we've been over this a million times. So instead, uh, let's move on to the uh, women's tag team title match: Natalia and Tamina defending against Rhea Ripley and Nikki Ash. Uh, Ripley and uh, Nikki came out beforehand, talked about Connor's cure, dedicated the match to anyone affected by pediatric cancer, anyone who supported Connor's cure. They get the crowd to do a V for victory. Uh, Rhea Ripley looked quite emotional. Uh, during all this. And then we got the match itself. Um, heart attack within about 25 seconds from uh, Natalia and Tamina into this. But uh, Ripley breaks up the cover. Um, and they, uh, do you know it's on commentary? They said, uh, that, that's Ripley's one save. Only allowed to use one save in this match, of course. And I wasn't sure if that applied to just tag title matches, tag matches. They make it up as they go along every bloody week. I mean, that's the rule, traditionally. Is, is there a, they're like... Well, they yeah, used it, but... What, yeah. Is it the Mustache Mountain Undisputed Era match where that was used to absolutely incredible effect where Tyler Bate couldn't make the save for Trent Seven and he was just out there dying and it was like, I want to help and I can't. Like, I want to help but I can't. <laughs> or that they bring it back for this. Like, or that it's this that yes. they choose it. Like the, and this was a match that went like two and a half minutes anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Tamina... Uh, yeah, the whole point of it, it's like you get one save... So you have to pick your spot no, wisely. We've got to go 25 more minutes. Yeah, <laughs> no, like, if, if 10 more minutes of that limb getting worked on, she's knackered. Do you, you sure you want to make that save? Because this match has still got 38 seconds to run. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
What a uh, pathetic company. Anyway, Tamina Samoa drops Nikki, uh, then goes up top, goes for the big splash. Nikki gets her knees up. Um, Nikki goes to tag Ripley, but she's been taken out on the outside. Uh, so Natalia comes in, drop kicks Nikki. Uh, Tamina and Ripley are going out on the outside. Ripley recovers, hits Tamina with the riptide on the apron. Natalia goes for the sharpshooter. Once again, fails miserably, although this was because Nikki managed to reverse and roll up Natalia one, two, three. After a pretty lengthy title run, Natalia and Tamina have lost the women's tag titles, and Rhea Ripley and Nikki A.S.H. are now making it, I think, majority odd couple tag team champions in WWE. Me and Andy worked this out on the news. You've got these two, you've got Io Shirai and Zoe Stark, and you've got uh, RK Bro. And you've got MSK and the Usos, who actually are two people who get along with each other in tag teams. And up but until Jimmy's DUI, the Usos. Until that was dropped stone cold. Yeah. Like the Usos weren't quite on the same page. Who's with Roman? Who's against Roman? Why do I, why, why are you lying on Twitter? <laughs> uh, but what did you think of the title switch, Sid? Eh? Not much. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say well, that. Well, of title switch is uh, here's another comparison. Uh... People don't like it when I do this, and these people are losers. Like the Young Bucks versus Lucha Bros. It's just so handy to have the frame of reference for how things are meant to do <laughs> to illustrate. I just think it's two things that are theoretically the same. It's funny, isn't it? I know Wait, it uh, is. It's like it's the best way of illustrating how incompetent and meaningless one promotion is. How many no. stars did that get? I don't mention this. Not even in the cage. You just imagine putting the two of them together for like 15 minutes in the hot dynamite opener. Now, Matt and Nick, you've only got you one save. It's like because Penta might murder you. (laughs) (laughs) We got two minutes on Raw. But it's like that title switch. uh, My review of that was if it wasn't and it wasn't a cold, cold audible, the reaction in the audience was so strong. They refused to sit down until they got the switch. That's how great the babyface performance was from the Lucha Brothers. That's how of such crucial importance it was that they win these incredibly prestigious titles. And then these losers, they lose all the time. It didn't resonate as any kind of achievement. Mm. And the match wasn't good. It went two minutes and Tamina still botched. I'll tell you what, though. Like, two words, public relations. You can never put WWE's charity work over in itself, the way in which certain performers like convey how much it means to them is often very powerful, and it was at the start of it. Yeah, Yeah, they sort of um, immunise this match from criticism as a result, which I know like is kind of a boring, podcasty type of take, but that was genuinely quite nice. It's like John Cena doing all the maker wishes and stuff like that there. The wrestlers themselves shouldn't be held to the rotten standards of the company with which they work for when it comes to nice stuff like this. Um, don't worry, wrestling fans, grapple fans, if you... Uh, it's a great time to be a wrestling fan, so why would they worry? Well, this is it. Don't worry if you were a bit disappointed that you didn't get the full execution of a sharpshooter on Raw because there's going to be plenty on Wednesday nights. So, like, in the near future, don't worry about not seeing them on Mondays. You don't need them there anymore. Like, they're going to be on TNT and TBS, brother, uh, where they <laughs> belong. Um so yeah, this match was rubbish. The belts mean nothing, and pour one out for Shotzi and Knox, I guess. Like, yeah. what, do they have to? Do they at the bottom of the rankings again? Have they got to work their way back up now that there's new champions? Uh, bit of a peek behind the curtain here. Often when I'm watching Raw, I'm thinking about the bullet points I'm going to put on the the podcast thing, and I was thinking, well, 
four of the five bullet points are done here. We've had a title switch. We've got a great role going on. We've got whatever we've got to come in the main event. Got lots of eventful things happening. I just haven't got that like like final uh, bullet point. So then we head to Alexa's playground, and I thought, rub my hands together. I went, oh, I forgot about this. Here we go. Alexa Bliss introduces Charlotte Flair. She comes down. Uh, she says, Bliss is barely even a competitor anymore. Um, and Bliss calls her the fun police. Uh, Bliss says, oh, look, I haven't got any tricks up my sleeve. Look how short they are. Uh, but uh, Bliss was upset because... <laughs> you got that halfway over. Well, Bliss is upset because Charlotte hasn't brought Charlie. with her, uh, but thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, uh, <laughs> thankfully, she's got a new one. Uh, oh, also, by the way, that I'm sitting on the other swing to Alexa Bliss was. Right, okay, there we go. That's both end done. Uh, <laughs> you want to press buttons, Cedric? This is how you press buttons. <laughs> Uh, Charlotte didn't want the new the new version of Charlie. Uh, she just wanted the old version of Bliss, the five feet of fury, the former champion. Uh, and she said, this is all an attempt to hide how fragile you are, Alexa. Uh, she talks about them not really crossing paths a lot. They'd always been champs on different brands. And then suddenly she, well, Charlotte was wondering how she's gone from main eventing WrestleMania 35 to dealing with bloody dolls. She went from beating the nightmare to feuding with a child. Should she beat up? Bliss now, or should they even wait till Sunday? And Bliss was not happy. She was saying, you're always bloody bragging, Charlotte. Um, yes, you've won more titles than any other woman, but as Sidge often points out, I mean, she's also lost more titles than anyone else. She doesn't need to play games to expose Charlotte. Look, because without that title on her shoulder, we don't really know who Charlotte is. Uh, Charlotte- Who's Alexa Bliss? I was going to say, that's something rich, isn't it? <laughs> Coming from this version of Alexa Bliss. Sorry, anyway. Well, yeah, the... Crowd, woo! Charlotte poses, and Bliss says, that's not very original. And Charlotte says, well, let's not get into the whole originality thing. And uh, crowd loved a bit of that. Bliss says, Charlotte's a bitch, and uh, you might call her crazy, but on Sunday you can call her champion. They get into a big brawl. Uh, Charlotte gets a big boot and eventually manages to get her hands on and rip the head off. Charlie! Uh, before... Immediately going after, oh God, I can't <laughs> <laughs> going after Lily. Uh, Bliss saves Lily, knocks down Charlotte with a tornado DDT, and uh, well, we're set for we're set for Sunday, Hamlet. I don't want to hate, and I didn't hate this. Um, WWE is not real, and it doesn't half piss me off when the wrestlers are sent out there to atone for the failings of the creative team by picking on each other's like flaws, which are scripted for them. Like all of the lack of a character that Charlotte hasn't got when she hasn't got a belt is a fault of the creative team because they can they can't like come up with three dimensional characters. Alexa Bliss being a rip off of Bray Wyatt again, all that stuff. Of course, that stuff's going to go down really well. We talked about we touched on this in the um, Rampage review. Like just because like some of the lines get amazing reactions from crowd, it doesn't mean that you need to necessarily go there. But I think that was some like reactionary back and forth for a second. I'm not sure that was built in to the Mm. planned dialogue. So if anything, like. Thought on the feet, and it didn't go down badly, so fair enough to that as well. <sighs> but, like, I didn't mind some of the idea of this. 
I wish that the characters weren't so awful in the first place that they needed to send the wrestlers out there to bury them <laughs> to try and get yeah. a feud over. Like that's they make these problems for themselves. If these weren't such awful characters, you wouldn't need to have promo battles where they basically compete to see who's the least awful. Because underpinning all of this was this idea that there's a an actual sense of competitiveness between them. There is a reason beyond non-sea face paint and stupid dolls and playgrounds as to why Alexa Bliss might want that belt because that's what she comes to fucking work for and there's a reason why Charlotte Flair might want to keep it and every now and then they actually like orbited around that subject matter and in those brief moments I quite liked it and I think the flashes of in-ring have backed that up there's been two weeks of this now where I'm reminded that Alexa Bliss is a wrestler and that once upon a time at a Survivor Series they had a perfectly serviceable match and might be able to do even better than that and I was shown it. I didn't despise all of this. I got a bit of that as well in terms of like, yeah, it was the fun, all the you know originality stuff and the back and forth and digs at each other. But there was glimpses, as Hamlet's alluded to, Sige, of, oh, yeah, if you strip all the bollocks and the dolls and all that away, you're getting two of the best women's champions in, in recent WWE memory going at it on Sunday. Why is it up to me to strip the bollocks away? Well, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the inherent issues. Right down to the line that they clearly fell in love with last week and repeated here. This was the exact same segment, more or less, on our talking about. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, it was fun and funny 24-7 stuff going next. It was silly. It was nets and stuff. Uh, I do. I did like this. I've liked this more than going to the park and finding out about how Reggie is, grew up around trees or something. I don't bloody know. Uh, he said he devised a plan, Drake Maverick, this is, to, to, to capture to Reggie to win the 24-7 championship. He had, a, he had a whiteboard and everything. It was going to be Drew Gulak distracting him. I, I think Akira Zoe just went, you're a ninja. Uh, and then R-Truth, why would you pick R-Truth, was the one who's going to drop the net when he says, now, dog. Uh, but it all got a bit confused. Drew Gulak got caught in the net and uh, Reggie got away, Sige. It's rubbish, man. We, we've talked about this before. What happens when one of them wins that belt? They then spend their lives on the run from the exact same collection of people, only with the ex-champion now in with the group. Why do you want that belt? Why do you want it? Like, why does Drake Maverick want to be in the position that Reggie's in, which is spending his life just trying to keep this belt? I, they've never once explained... Like, other than maybe R-Truth is so wacky that he believes this to be the world title. You know, it kind of is a bit of an extension of him always getting things mixed up. Other than that, like, they've never once tried to say what the benefit of having this belt would be. Surely you're more miserable with it than without. I wish they would say something on commentary, like, to address the fact that this is idiotic and just say, I even have Corey Graves, Corey Graves? Corey Graves say something like, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, you know, Frantic life, a bit of a stressful life, but they get paid a bit more. Yeah. Champ- Champions Day rate or something. Yeah. Yeah, like there's a bonus every day that you're a title holder in WWE or something. Anyway, next up, uh, with Damien Priest on commentary, it was... Skip! Sh- yeah, I'm happy yeah, to skip that too. Just two losers yeah. having a boring match, like... Sheamus versus Jeff But we got a triple threat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, skip. Hardy hear the twist of fate. Rolled up Sheamus, won the match. He's heading to Extreme Rules. Willborn, no more words. <laughs> Well, uh, one thing I wanted to quickly say before we do this <laughs> is often we... Podcasts are long enough. Yeah, I'm right often, we often <laughs> disrespect the mid-card title, right? And I just wanted to say, you know, it's now going to be a triple threat for the US title. So just very quickly... And God bless the United States. There we go. So <laughs> we got that sorted. Good, isn't it? That's as if you'd like these nuts it. Like Jeff Hardy always says, no, dear, that's wrong. 
It's now time for this. It's short, it's crap, it's wrestling related. The five star review review. Nailed it! (sighs) (laughs) This week's five star review review. Sorry, keep behind the curtain. We still have a button, the jingle. But you've got friggin' Trump and E. I realised that as we came in. I was like, I went to get the five star review review (laughs) jingle, but I got carried away with these nuts this week. (laughs) Uh, anyway, this week's five-star review review is brought to you by Zach Gullickson, who says, uh, better known as Silverblade on Twitter. It says, all of you at What Culture have been a huge part of my last few years, from you and the Dadleys to Andy Murray uh, and Simon Miller to all the Wrestle Culture lads. Uh, when I lost my mom to a 10-year battle with leukemia in 2018, I finally decided to go full in on my love for wrestling as an escape. And in doing so, I found your channel. I've been listening or watching ever since, from my brief interactions with some of you on Twitter to daily podcast listening. You've all provided me greater joy than I could ever express. I truly Truly want to thank you. For my very vague five-star review review, please review the most crap thing from WCW that you haven't done yet, whatever that entails. Uh, Thanks so much again to all of you. Never stop doing what you do so well. So thank you very much for Zach uh, for that review and uh, for the the lovely message in there and happy to have provided any sort of escape possible uh, through wrestling. Um, We decided to talk about (laughs) World War III and... Well, Hulk Hogan's Observe This Brother. <laughs> Give us a little bit of a backstory to it, Hamflo. Let's talk about rag sheets. Thank you, Zach. And I'm glad you mentioned Silverblade. I had lots of nice interactions on Twitter, so appreciate that. Yeah, um, it was the summer of 1995, which basically couldn't look more different from the summer of 1996 in WCW, other than that Hulk Hogan was still wearing black. But not because he was foreshadowing the NWO, because he had a different kind of stable war on the go. It was with the Dungeon of Doom, and we all know that it wasn't hot ever. (laughs) But he'd been basically taken to the dark side, fighting all these monsters, um, and the character wasn't working. And as and Nitro wasn't like WCW wasn't hot, but Nitro was new, and it certainly felt fresh. And a lot of new people were seeing that, oh, he's like... Stars that they knew were on television, but Hogan was just mad into his weird garbage. It would get worse. You know, we've covered eight on two. Oh, it might look cool. <laughs> <laughs> it would like it would get to eight on two next year. So it was only going to get worse before it would get better in WCW. But this was Hulk Hogan's on air dig at Dave Meltzer. And there's like a couple of points within your recap that I think we're gonna have to get to at just how insane this was. In how this was on the pay-per-view, so it couldn't even sell the three-ring battle royal, which they didn't mention once in this promo, by the way, because it was already on the air at this point. You have paid your $20, $30 waiting to see this, like, novel concept that Eric Bischoff has devised, and instead you're getting this. Yes, so Mean Gene is attempting to shield for the show. I I was going to write down what he said, but then I realised actually Hulk Hogan pays no attention to what he said because he's he's saying what he's going to say regardless of whatever Mean Gene says. Uh, And Hogan says, well, you know something, Mean Gene... I'm not going to do the voice because I'm ruining it for the amount of time he talks here. Well, you know something, Mean Gene? Out of something bad always comes something good, brother. These Hulkamaniacs have stood with me uh, with the training, the prayers and the vitamins. I took a walk to the dark side. There's no juiced up kids. <laughs> running around, there, there was none with him by then. He was lying there. All day. <laughs> I took I took a walk to the dark side, brother. If I'd have taken the final step, maybe I wouldn't ha- be here with my two best friends tonight. But brother, now I know who my friends are. And tonight, and he slowly, very carefully, also <laughs> remo- re- takes off just the black do rag. Keeps the the you know, red and yellow one on on underneath. Takes that off. Rips his shirt open. He's wearing all the red and yellow stuff. Uh, 
Great pullback and reveal, by the way, because the live crowd have seen him in his yeah, red, his red tries, his yellow boots, and then a black top arm. <laughs> Coming is like just filming for like when they have, like when sort of women get pregnant in TV shows, they have to just film from the top. That's like right, keep it tight on Hogan. Yeah, he's got these like neon red tights on. The fans are like, there he is. Why is Hogan gone half and is he like half dark side? What's his deal this week? There's Hulk Hogan in a big coat for some reason. <laughs> Uh, he says, uh, the dark side of Hulk Hogan, brother, will be no more, brother. He says brother quite a lot. Uh, the dark side of Hulk Hogan is over, brother. Uh, and he throws the the, the, the black sh- uh, shirt that he's ripped off into a bucket that then bursts into <laughs> flames. More on that in, a, in due course. Uh, I think it was holy water and it must have residue of Hogan's skin on it. <laughs> he says, we're going to burn the dungeon of doom, brother. I will never, ever again question Sting. Macho man's my friend. Sting has stu- stuck by me since day one. I want to be your friend forever. He's pointing at Sting. Friends forever. <laughs> how, how long till he turns on him? Like what? Oh, it's about six about, months. About a year. Yeah. If that, yeah. Uh, I don't care what your trip is with Lex Luger. I will always be your friend, Stinger. <laughs> Oh! <laughs> and Sting goes, I want it! <laughs> the Hulkster! Yeah! That's WCW! And the black is gone for good, right, Match? Uh, and the Macho Man <laughs> says... It's, it's why people love Sting, isn't it? Because he wasn't good at that, but he was just so earnest. God, uh, you couldn't not love him, yeah. but he was rubbish. He was a bit lame. Yeah. Bit of a nerd, but I Macho love Man comes on. Oh, oh. This is the best. Yeah. He says, when you're wrong, you're wrong. And I was wrong. I just want to say I'm sorry. You're the coolest dude in the world. <laughs> I love that. I need to talk about this. I need to unpack it just a little bit. Like, I love how these three nerds who are so out of touch with what's cool decide to double down on what it means to be a babyface because it's all they know and they think, well, what if I just do the thing that they are slowly beginning to resent more? Because <laughs> I, I say the nicest possible thing. You're the coolest dude in the world lovely thing to say. You got the biggest cock in the world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These are the nicest possible things you could think of right. to try and get this ridiculous bollocks over. But thankfully... Uh, I don't blame you for my divorce anymore. <laughs> <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, no one's paying attention to all this because you know the bucket I mentioned earlier with the shirt catching on fire? It's really getting out of hand at this point. <laughs> this is where Sting comes into his own again because he, like, he forgets that he's a stinger and instead he's like, some kid's going to get really seriously burned by this. <laughs> this <laughs> fire's getting really out. They've punched the shot in a little bit because the fire's getting really out of hand. And he then he's trying to make it look like a baby face. Like, he's putting the fire out. He's like looking at the camera going, yeah! <laughs> he's like waving his arms about. He's emptying little bottles of water that they've been given, right? And also what I really like about this is this bit is meant to be, I'm fairly certain, Hogan talking like talking about Macho Man, and normally that, you'd have him pointing at Macho Man and looking in Macho Man's eyes. But Sting's just all over the place. He's right in front. You can't see Macho Man because he's going, the fire's getting out, man, eh? The bin's like the Undertaker in that elimination chamber. There's just all these people coming down. You see splashes of water everywhere. Uh, Mean Gene's getting concerned about all this. Uh, Hogan, who at this point, I didn't realise... That from the start of this segment, he's got a piece of paper in his hand. I thought he like, well, like, where's he pulled that out? And I rewound the clip and I was like, oh, he's got it in his hand the whole time. Okay. He says, well, you know something, Mean Gene? Something that's really funny we've been laughing about in the back <laughs> is the fact that everybody said the Macho Man has a legitimate injury, brother. What a joke. Hamflet, was he injured? This is so great. Can we have a minute on this? Yeah. So Savage had been working with this like massive bandage on his arm, right, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And uh, there was, like, conjecture about whether or not he was injured for real. And then Meltzer was, like, in the Observer, saying, oh, it's a shoot. He's actually injured, but he's working hurt. WCW need him. He's kind of drawing, so, like, they want him around. 
And then Hogan tried to mix the work and shoot, and it didn't work. And this pro were like, you know, ju- sorry, yeah, like jump ahead where he goes, like, you know, you guys are in the rag sheets, you don't know nothing. It was a plan. He's not injured, blah, blah, blah. But he legit was. <laughs> yeah. And he was still capable. He comes out in and World War III later. It. Yeah, yeah. He's comes out it. World War III later on, selling his arm the whole time because it's a massive band. You can see the bandage under his multicolored gear because it's like, I've been working this thing for like three months. <laughs> Thanks for killing the town, brother. I know you're the coolest dude, but you just killed my bit. Yeah, he says, the matching man's arm is perfect. This is his next line. <laughs> he's a carny bastard. <laughs> yeah, he's lying to you. Like the rag sheet. <laughs> he said that was just a plan. Because every because between the Stinger, Macho Man, and Hulk Hogan, the WCW title brother is going to be with the Hulk of Maniacs. And there's a big... Well, this is meant to be a big reaction. I think there might even be a bit of post-show post, post uh, sweetening here because I'm reading, reading all about it. People are like, yeah, he was getting booed out of the arena there, brother. <laughs> anyway, he, he says, uh, he says, and again, this is where the fight, they're like, Jesus, this fire. Anyway, he says, you know something, brother? Pulls the piece of paper out to really reveal it to front and center. Observe this, brother. This is what we call a rag sheet, brother. They say the Giants going to win the match. They say Macho Man was hurt. And uh, I read this in a write-up uh, from last year by one uh, Michael Sidgwick about wrestlers responding to their critics. He says the line, This is like a dinosaur compared to the internet, brother. He says, The internet's got their scoops. We're going to steal the belt, he says. <laughs> the Stinger Macho Man and Hulk Hogan together. Okay, you've made your point. The Macho Man's not hurt. <laughs> oh, right, okay. <laughs> And what are you going And then he's like, oh, what, what can I do? I just look, go back to It's like me. Just go back to a catchphrase. What are you Hulkamaniacs going to do when there's Neo Macho Man and Hulk Hogan run wild on you? There's a trait of his 1995 specifically. Treat yourself to any one of these. When he does the what you're going to do, it's not like how he rounds a promo out in like pomp, 90, like mid-80s WWE. He like screams it at Mean Gene and the fans themselves, almost like he's threatening people, as if he's threatening people backstage. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> it's like absolutely nothing because I've got all the creative control, brother. Like, like he's just like, he's just angry at everybody. Anything you want to say about this before we go to the comments? Just what a stupid old man. <laughs> stupid old bastard that Hulk Hogan is. True's Detroit in the comments, which of course, to not reflect the use of myself, the daddy boys, or anyone what culture wrestling echoes this. Just write one word: cocaine. There they go. It's just a total self-own. That at the time, like such a niche portion of the audience knew what the hell he was talking about, and they knew that he was talking bollocks, and everyone else thought he was talking bollocks, but a different kind of bollocks. Hmm. Weird. King Jordan writes: Ha! Dave Meltzer looks like a doctor. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. The comments are all wild, by the way. And it's, That'll show him. It's just, every, <laughs> it's just everyone saying, Ooh, that fire's getting out of hand. Or Eric Bischoff sent me here, basically. Damo Live has watched this a month ago and thinks, these guys, you know, these guys are. They're fixers. And writes, he's ready to be sent to Afghanistan to fix the situation. What? What? What are you doing, Damo? Anyway, the, the the best one for me comes from Anvil Pro 100, right? The video we watch this on, often we will watch it on, um, on you know, the WWE Network or whatever it may be, but you have to get the comments. Yuck. So uh, we go, go to the YouTube, and it was uh, Daryl Rhodes' video that I watched this on. It's very much like filming a screen, sort of not great quality. But Anvil Pro 100 is not concerned with the quality, or Eric Bischoff sending him there. Or the video itself. He's gone... Wait a second. Daryl Rhodes. He writes, 
Are you related to Cody Rhodes? Can you ask him why he got that neck tattoo? I've got a Pickle Rick tattoo, but it's not on my neck. <laughs> I love that, man. These people are man. So, yeah. And that's, that's the end of the comments, basically. Thank you very much to Silverblade for uh, leaving that five-star review. If you, if you want to do one, if you want to suggest something short, crap, and wrestling-related, or leave it up to these guys here, uh, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Or, as I often say, you can email them to me if you've not got the uh, uh, ability to go onto iTunes or anything like that. You can email them to me, adam.wilborn at whatculture.com. And let's return to Monday Night Raw and look at this, Mike Sidgwick, straight back to the main event. Oh, it is Big E, Roman Reigns, and Bobby Lashley going at it, and it's big, meaty men slapping meat. I love this main event. Uh, big E is the last one to come out, immediately goes after Lashley, and Roman Reigns, just perfection again, does, does something fantastic without really doing anything. He just stands there and lets them fight it out, of course, uh, until he spies an opportunity to nail Big E with one of those drive-by drop kicks. Uh, later on, he tries it on Lashley, but Lashley clotheslines him onto the apron. Um, Lashley takes down both men. Uh, Big E knocks him down with an STO, though. Big E then goes after Reigns. He gets a Samoan drop uh, on uh, Big E, though, and gets a two count. Reigns then later on... Pops Lashley up on the top rope, sets up for a huge superplex, but Big E gets in, gets underneath him, and they do this massive Tower of Doom to a huge pop, uh, taking us into the break. Big E fights back, hits consecutive suplexes on Reigns. Lashley yanks him out of the ring, drives him into the barricade. He hits Reigns with a flatliner. He gets him up for that brilliant delayed vertical suplex. That was a fantastic visual as well. Uh, Big E comes back into the ring, though. He knocks down both men. He hits them with a big splash onto both of them. He covers Lashley. He gets a two count. He ducks the Superman punch. He hits the big ending on Roman Reigns, but Lashley takes him out of the ring and chokeslaps him through the announce table. Lashley sets up, goes to Spears, spear Roman Reigns, but Roman Reigns hits him with a Superman punch uh, and gets a near fall off of it. The crowd at this point are chanting, this is awesome. Uh, Reigns then... Tries to spear Lashley, but Lashley actually spears him first. Big E dives in just to break up the cover. Uh, Lashley tries to put Big E into the hurt lock, but Reigns nails a Superman punch. Big E spears Reigns out of that ring with that mad thing that he does, which always terrifies me. Uh, Reigns gets hit with a big ending by Big E, but then Lashley comes in and twats Big E repeatedly with a chair. Boos Reigns down. Perfectly legal, Cole. Yeah, triple threat <laughs> match. Uh, Lashley turns around straight into a spear by Roman Reigns, uh, who gets the pinfall victory. What a thrilling conclusion to Monday Night Raw this was, Hamlet. Yeah, um... So after what we said on last week's Raw review about the Lashley main event, you can call this like a hot streak for WWE, having two great Raw main events in a row. This didn't have any like particularly like narrative threads, but I don't mean that as a criticism of the match. Uh, maybe, again, with like live crowds returning, it's taken long enough. They've, and by they, I mean, I guess like Vincent Mann or WWE or whoever's in charge of this style has figured out how to extract the most exciting reactions from wrestlers like this. It wasn't free of psychology. There were it was basics stuff. They were selling. You were allowed to, I guess, like register the damage that was being inflicted. But yeah, like giant meaty men slapping meat like has become a gag and a meme because of Big E, but that is a style. 
and that can be, when done well, be thrilling, be really exciting. And I thought that was what they exploited here. You had, again, like I want to talk about like the star power of Roman and Big E, and I guess by extension Bobby Lashley, because he felt completely on their level too. That helped. Um, this brought to mind the fact that for all you know, my daft pictures about the Survivor Series or when we try and think about pay-per-views, TV's where the money's at, and we should perhaps think about more this as in keeping with where, where wrestling's at now, that this is the type of thing we should expect from a Raw main event. Like, remember this, when there's a deathly dull or miserable Raw main event, mm. because if television really is where the money is, it's this that you should be permitted to expect every single week on Raw, on SmackDown, on Dynamite. We get it on there. But it should be on, you know, WWE shows too. This was, like, really, really tremendous fun. And with the finish, you've probably got your chairs match or your weapons match yeah. if you want to throw Big E and Lashley out there on Sunday. It's not going to feel like a main event, but this in itself was a sales pitch for watching 10 more minutes of them. It's, it's tremendous. And again, like energy that was established at the start of the show carried through at the end, which again happened for the second week in a row, again, directly related to the involvement of Big E. So, so far, so great on him being on Mondays. Yeah, you used the word thrilling as you segue. And sometimes I'll have a quote Will Bourne by going, I was a great match. And I'm thinking, was it three and a quarter, three and a quarter stars? <laughs> and, and it would have probably been better than any other promotion. This was thrilling. Like, it really was. Um, for being arsehole about it, I had to just crafted an actual story. A big, long chase. And a whatever. Big E versus Roman Reigns as a WrestleMania main event mm. on the basis of their incredible chemistry. It could have been the making, the true making of Big E, not the... Plug a hemorrhaging wound inflicted by the Monday Night Football. Um, and it's nice enough for now. And it's an improvement on utter crap. Like, they could have an absolutely amazing WrestleMania main event. They still might one day. This is You don't get the first proper singles meeting that often. Um, I don't want to discount Lashley because I thought he played his role very well. But there was just those flashes of physical chemistry between Roman and Big E were marvellous. Total trust in their bodies to tell the story perfectly. Like that Samoan drop spot was unbelievable and how quickly they manoeuvred into it. It just felt like they were completely dialed in. The wavelength was spectacular. And while there wasn't a big story told, which is quite difficult to do in a triple threat match, I love these little sprinkles of like genuine strategic nous in terms of how to build a match and what the people would do in this match. If Lashley was going to apply the hurt lock to Big E, leaving Big E's head vulnerable. Of course, Roman Reigns is going to do the Superman punch. Like, there were so many little moments that, in direct contrast to the usual spot fest of a triple threat, actually made loads of sense. Uh, this is cohesive, thrilling. And again, I'll just like to underscore the point that they've actually got a bit of a meritocracy in a hot main event scene in WWE right now, and yet it's probably still too late to salvage its reputation. <laughs> but nevertheless, the best Raw this year without question. Let us know your thoughts on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch, they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE, as I said. Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Going to be previewing NXT 2.0 uh, a little <laughs> bit later on today. And watch there. Leave us a five-star review, just like Zach Gullickson, a.k.a. Silverblade, on Twitter. Thank you once again for that review. Zach. But for now, this has been the Raw Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.